Welcome into NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here, here with my main man, the super sub, sixth man of the year, Kyle Irving. We're coming off of All-Star Weekend. Kyle, what are your thoughts? I, I guess the, the short version first. What are your thoughts on, on how All-Star Weekend went this year? I mean, you know, I'm like the wrong person to ask because I've watched every All-Star Weekend for as long as I can remember. And no matter how good or bad it is, I always find a way to come away thinking that I enjoyed it. Um, so, you know, I know a lot of people weren't exactly happy with how the All-Star Game went. I know the dunk contest was better than people expected, uh, but some of the other events didn't live up to the hype. But, you know, for an NBA loving junkie like myself, I enjoyed it. I enjoy watching the, the stars, you know, kind of do what they do on the big stage. And even though there was no defense played in the All-Star Game, I still enjoyed that, too. <laughs> It's funny because, like, I think that there is something to be said about the fact that one weekend out of the year, all the biggest names in the league, or most of the biggest names in the league, the guys that aren't injured, um, are in one place, whether it's Salt, Salt Lake City, Chicago, Atlanta, Indianapolis, whatever the case, they're all in one place. And you toss in legends, WNBA stars, celebrities, all of those things. I think that that always adds to the novelty of it. And like you said, like, Regardless of how I come out of it, feeling whether like uh, there were things I would change, things that I didn't enjoy, things that I did enjoy, I'm going to be tuned in <laughs> again, you know, this time next year when it's in Indianapolis, I'll be tuned in to everything. I'll be following along with everything. So um, that being said, we can start to peel the, the layers back a little bit and nitpick a bit. High point, low point, all-star weekend for you this year. I won't even ask you what, what, what you would change, but what do you think was the best part of this year's all-star weekend? And then you know, what, what was the worst? I think the best part of this year's All-Star Weekend actually was probably the slam dunk contest just because, yeah. you know, it had let us down so badly the last two years. We had gone two years without seeing a 50-point dunk. Um, yeah. And then, you know, Mac McClung, whether you want to say he saved the dunk contest or didn't save the dunk contest, um, you know, at least for temporarily for Saturday night, I think he saved, uh, you know, the All-Star Saturday night events. I would say the low point of the All-Star Weekend, and I think it has been for years now, the skills challenge is horrible. Like mm. it is just absolutely terrible. I saw someone suggest that maybe, and you said we don't have to get into how we would fix it. I saw someone suggest that we would just, that the stars just do a talent show instead. Like get Victor Oladipo up there singing like he's on the mask singer or something. Like I will watch anything other than Walker Kessler throwing bounce passes in like, you know, Thanasis on Sukumpo trying to dribble around cones because I used to love the skills challenge. Like back in the day when it was like Steve Nash and Chris Paul and Darren Williams and they're weaving in and out and they're throwing these long bounce passes and skip pass. like i don't know i used to think it was awesome but now i'm watching walker kessler throw chess passes and i'm like what are we doing here and, and jordan clarkson going through not even half speed like like <laughs> like like one eighth speed uh and they somehow still won that these are the winners we're talking about by the way that's the team that won the competition um one note on the skills challenge i saw somebody it feels like a lot of people were talking about it and it's always you know the opener we we, we start saturday night off with the skills challenge and I saw somebody post a picture from the 2007 Skills Challenge, and it was Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, and Kobe. Like, I, I can't think of of any other type of of challenges or anything like that that's had that much star power at the same time in the same year, whatever. All those guys, Chris Paul wasn't even really in his prime yet, but all those guys in their prime, some of the biggest names in, in the league. Uh, all in the skills challenge. And like you said, now we have uh, the team competition that they changed a little bit from last year. And they're still like trying to perfect the formula of something that probably can't be perfected. So there was a talent show a few years ago. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, we they had a 
Lucas Shaw and Bob Mute did his um he whistled sorry by Justin I'll send you a link uh to, to that oh, after man. this I do not it remember was, that yeah, I do not yeah, remember yeah it that. was it, it was pretty forgettable um but I do want to circle back to the dunk contest because there's been a lot of talk about the dunk contest and you kind of alluded to it whether or not Mac McClung saved the dunk contest maybe that's a lot to put on the shoulders of one two-way player he's not a g-leaguer anymore one two-way player um but i was really impressed with his showing we know who mac mccung is at least you and i do um being fans of college basketball but also fans of basketball he went viral in high school actually our publication the sporting news uh back in 2018 documented him at gate city high school in gate city virginia to see him kind of First of all, he went four for four. He didn't miss any dunks. Did some things that we had never seen before. Um, so summing up his performance, like what what were you most impressed by by Mac? And also what did you think of the dunk contest as a whole? Because Trey Murphy had a good showing as well. Kenny Martin Jr., maybe not so much. Jericho Sims, definitely not so much. But still, uh it, it was an impressive dunk contest on the whole, thanks in large part to Mac. Yeah, you already brought up the main point that I was going to bring up, which doesn't surprise me because you and I seem to be on the same page just in amount here. But um, I think the biggest thing for me, especially compared to the last two years, like, yeah, Mac McClung was awesome. Like you said, Trey, Trey Murphy had some cool dunks as well. Um, we saw some stuff that had never been done before. But the biggest thing for me is that these guys were making their dunks like yeah. on the first try more often than not. Like over the last two years, we saw Jalen Green attempt like eight dunks in a single <laughs> round without getting one to go like that was the biggest thing for me watching this on Saturday night. I'm like, wow, everybody is actually getting these dunks done on their first try or second try. There weren't many times in, in this year. They limited people to three tries, uh, mm-hmm. participants to three tries per, you know, dunk attempt per round, um, which I think was a big step in the right direction. But that was my favorite part about the dunk contest. The fact that, you know, it, it was clear these guys had practiced these dunks. They were capable of doing them and they did them on the bright stage in one or two tries. Like you said, for Mac McClung, <clears throat> excuse me, he did all of his dunks on the first try. So that is the first step to saving the dunk contest is just making sure that the dunks actually go down because when they do, that's when you start seeing the you know high 40s and the 50s. But I think Mac put on a great show. I personally was honestly a little bit pessimistic when they had a G Leaguer joining the dunk contest. Even though I knew that Mac could fly, you know, it's supposed to be reserved for the biggest stars in the NBA. So I was a little hesitant on that. But now I'm actually just thinking, Maybe we just try and find the most athletic guys we can go out there and, and guys that are really going to practice this thing and take it seriously because you could tell Mac was ready to go. Yeah, Mac was ready to go. I think that that, like you said, really, really impressed me about him was that like there was so much pressure. And I think back to guys who um, were trying to get in the dunk contest. I remember a long time ago, Shannon Brown petitioned and was like starting, you know, all of this stuff to get in the dunk contest. And he got there. It didn't disappoint, but we had set such a high bar for those guys who really are, are are campaigning for themselves to get into the dunk contest to where once they get there, they really have to put a performance like Mac did to say, OK, that was worthwhile, like you impressed us. So I think that, you know, knowing that people were already skeptical about him being in it, being a G Leaguer or two way player um, or what have you, I think that there was an, already some pressure kind of underlying. And on, on the other hand, it kind of was a house money situation too, right? Where it's like, if he, if he doesn't show up, it's like, uh, you know, whatever. But I, I think that, you know, both things are actually true at the same time. So thinking about that, um, but the other point that you said, you know, the big names, right? Like I can't think back to the last time and, and, and maybe there has been somebody more recently than I can remember, but the last time that somebody we've seen in the dunk contest also played on Sunday, right? And we've got Stephen A. Smith calling out LeBron James for single-handedly, 
in his words, ruining the dunk contest for kind of setting a precedent for stars saying that, you know, you know, we're okay sitting out of this. Um, but, but I'm curious because I'm wondering your thoughts about that and the fact that stars aren't in the dunk contest anymore. But then as I start thinking about it, like, who would it be? Like, I, like the big names, you know, that would be in it this day and age, like, like who, 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 who would you want in the dunk contest that has kind of skirted around it? There are three players that put on a show on Sunday night that I think would be fantastic in the dunk contest. Obviously, John Moran is one. Yeah. I think Anthony Edwards is another one. I think mm-hmm. Jalen Brown is someone who could be surprisingly very good in the dunk contest. He threw down that windmill at the end of the All-Star game. Like Those are three guys that were playing on Sunday that I'm like, if all three of those guys joined the dunk contest and took it seriously, that's a star power that we're looking for. I think um, it was Kevin Durant that had the quote that I really liked this weekend about how he was talking about how you know, being a part of All-Star Weekend used to be so sacred. The dunk contest used to be so sacred. And I kind of, I don't think that people will all of a sudden, you know, the the stars, the young stars will all of a sudden say, you know what, KD's right. We should join the dunk contest. And I do actually think that Stephen A. Smith had kind of a point about Mm -hmm. how LeBron kind of passed up that obligation. And he sets the standard for everything in the NBA being, you know, arguably the best ambassador the NBA has ever had. Um, And it kind of makes me feel like, because he didn't do it, like other players don't really feel responsible to do it. But I do kind of hope that, you know, someone, whether it, maybe it's not John Moran, maybe it's not Anthony Edwards, but somewhere along the line, I hope that there is a star out there that, you know, here's what Kevin Durant had to say about how it used to be a sacred event in that, you know, it's something that Kobe Bryant did, Michael Jordan did, Dominique mm-hmm. Wilkins, Dr. J, like it, it really used to be a big deal. And I hope that someone kind of takes pride in that. And at some point, I don't know who it'll be, but at some point they're like, you know what? I'm going to be the star that gets stars back to doing the dunk contest because, like you said, off the top of my head, I can't even think of the last player that participated in the dunk contest on Saturday and then played in the All Star game on Sunday. Yeah, I'm trying to think back. Maybe it was like the weird like team competition year. It might have been like Dame or or John Wall or Paul George. But again, that was a that was a while back. And another name to add to to the ones you said was Zion Williamson is another guy who would definitely True. shut down. Uh, an NBA slam dunk contest and it makes you think like you know what is really the root of it right I feel like you know in this era in which like people were ready to like really get on Mac McClung's case if, if he didn't show up so imagining you know you know a star getting the slander or getting you know all all the backlash for not performing well in the dunk contest I think maybe it, it rains differently if it's all four stars going against each other or three stars and maybe a a middle level player but the fact that there is no star power I, I think is very interesting so I think it, you're right it comes down to the fact that is it going to be one player that says you know what I'm gonna do it maybe it's a, a young player maybe it's Scoot Henderson I would love to see him in the dunk contest and he's definitely destined for stardom soon maybe it's one of the guys who played in the the Rising Stars Challenge. Maybe we see a Benedict Matherin. Maybe we see Shaden Sharp jump in uh, the dunk contest once he kind of arrives as a star um, in, in coming years. So Mac McClung definitely has a spot in it moving forward. You can't you can't not go and defend your title after performance like that. But it'd be very interesting to, uh, you know, maybe try to get some more star power back in the dunk contest. And like Kevin Durant said, restore that sacred level of competition. Now, one last note on sacred level of competition Team Giannis got a 184-175 victory over Team LeBron. And I don't think I've seen as many people complain, criticize, scrutinize the All-Star game as I did this past year. It kind of felt like the pro bowliest 
NBA All-Star game that I've seen in a while. I know you said you came out of it, enjoyed it. Uh, I'm sure it probably helped that you saw Jason Tatum go for 55 and win MVP, set a record, so history was made. But overall, your thoughts about the All-Star game, I mean, we had Michael Malone calling it the worst basketball game uh, ever played. It's never as good as it seems, never as bad as it seems, but where do you stand on the actual All-Star game itself, even being that you were kind of satisfied as, as a watcher? Yeah, um, I think the thing with the All-Star game is that the new format, like it felt like it fixed it. I think when we were in Chicago in 2020, that was 2020. the first year that they had done, uh, you know, the Elam ending. And I think for a moment, like that kind of did fix the All-Star game. But then eventually, like anything else, it kind of gets played out in like players stopped really grinding for stops at the end of each quarter, um, even though, you know, there's money on the line for charity and stuff like that. And then the game wasn't close enough at the end to really pick up the intensity the way that we had seen in years past. So I think that's like the one flaw in the game is the fact that, you know, if the game's not close at the end, the Elon ending isn't really going to make a difference because like we saw, the players are just shooting half-court shots trying to make yeah. that last shot. Um, there was no defense being played. You know, I, I totally understand why people would say, they turned it off or they were disinterested in it. Mike Malone, like you said, said that it was, you know, not basketball. Jalen Brown said it was a glorified layup line. Um, I mean, obviously it was cool to see Jason Tatum make history score 55 points. It would have been cooler if he had to work a little bit harder for it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, all in all, it, it is just watching the best players in the world uh, do what they do best. Um, but it would just be a lot more, obviously a lot better to watch if they were actually trying on the defensive end, because, you know, then we get to really see these guys, uh, do what makes them so special where last night, like we were watching, you know, it's just a runway to the rim. Yeah, th- that's exactly what it, what it was. I, you know, I was watching, um, and, and it's just kind of like, okay, like they're gonna, they're gonna crank the intensity up. And, and yesterday was such a production or sorry, Sunday's game was such a production, um, in that, you know, there was the draft beforehand, which was, which was a good addition. I think that that added to, uh, the show of everything, but then having to break down the stage, having to get the guys on the floor into their new uniforms and then warming up the game kind of started late. And it felt like, you know, and, and I made the comment, like, you know, the, the layup lines were the first quarter to get guys warmed up, but then it kind of just seeped into the second quarter and seeped into the third quarter. And then like you mentioned, you know, you're, you're down by 10 points in the quarter, but you're actually down like 17 points for the game or whatever. And now you have a target score, which you're 41 points away from the other team just has to get a couple stops. And it just feels like so far away where you almost have to like each quarter almost has to be more of a game in itself. And because it didn't really seem like that, then it definitely got away from everybody. Uh, you know, by that fourth quarter, you know, I was watching uh, some some highlights of the 2001 All-Star game. And it was just crazy to look back and and watch Stefan Marbury and Allen Iverson celebrating at the end of the game after coming back from 21 down uh, against the Western Conference. They're celebrating like they won the Eastern Conference finals or something. Granted, that was back in the time where the Eastern Conference was super weak. So I'm sure there was like a pride element <laughs> going on there. Um, that was the only thing they could probably beat the Western Conference in. But I, I do miss that. And I, I think another part of it is that like, 2001 All-Star game, I was six years old, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm 28 now, so it's definitely going to be a little bit different, you know, watching that. And, and still, you have a level of appreciation of, of everybody being there and, you know, seeing Jason Tatum get hot because he still had to make the shots that he hit. Donovan Mitchell had a, a, a pretty impressive game uh, back in front of his old fans as well. Seeing LeBron James catch alley-oops, even though he didn't play in the second half due to the little finger injury that he sustained. But seeing all that was cool. But, you know, I, I do miss, like, hey, like, you know, fourth quarters here or whatever it's time it's winning time it's time to go get it I think that that was missing a little bit uh this year and I don't know 
um, you know, what the answer really is. They asked Shea Gilgis Alexander about it. His answer was money talks. Like, do you make a, a bigger a bigger purse for, for players to play for? I don't necessarily know if that's the answer. Um, but if you had to think of a way to not necessarily fix the all-star game, but but to tweak it again to maybe restore some of that excitement, uh, you know, I, I don't think we take the draft away. But I think there was a little bit of, of East-West pride. I think that was a thing back in the day. Um, but I don't know if, if anything has come to your mind of like, hey, maybe we can do this and restore a little bit of the energy and the 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 interest back in the all-star game yeah i don't know i i hadn't really put any thought into it but as you asked me that the first thing that kind of came to my mind and i'm not sure if this actually would fix it but i think you keep the elam ending and i think you almost adopt like the rising stars format where Mm -hmm. it's a tournament and maybe there's four captains and then they each draft teams and you know Because like you said, when you're in the moment, in the quarter, even though each quarter the score resets and you're supposed to play as if it's each four individual games or three individual games up until the fourth quarter where the Elam ending comes into play, um, I think that maybe making it like tournament style will make the games feel more like individualized and maybe players, it'll raise the intensity a little bit because, you know, they don't want to be knocked out in the first round or, you know, anything like that. So maybe that's an answer but realistically at the end of the day like if these guys don't want to step on the floor and try and play defense and they just want it to be a glorified layup line then like that's what it's going to be i think in 2020 the first year they brought the elam ending in like that was one of the best all-star games we had seen in our lifetime it came down to unfortunately a game-winning free throw um which i think is you know kind of a a separate wrinkle that they need to work out um but it was intense at the very end the fourth quarter like they came up with multiple different stops and it was like Giannis and Kawhi and lebron and these guys are like really digging in on the defensive end um, so I think, you know, again, the product of last night's game, it kind of lent itself to being a layup line all the way through to the very end. So maybe the answer is just, you know, four teams, you keep the draft because I really like that. And I thought that was super entertaining at the beginning and then hope that a tournament style kind of forces these guys to, um, you know, buckle down and play some defense earlier in the game. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a good way to do it. Again, having more isolated uh, games within the game. I, I'm thinking back to 2020, and I remember, um, you know, moving away down from press row into the media workroom to watch the end of that game, and all the media kind of huddled around the one television to watch the way that that game ended. There was a lot of excitement. I also saw a tweet. I think I think it was Fred Katz or somebody on Twitter was saying that that was the last all-star game that Kyle Lowry played. And he's in here taking charges in the fourth quarter. And it's almost like if Kyle Lowry's involved in a game, you have no choice but for it to be competitive. And I know the 2021 game was a little weird. They were in the bubble in Atlanta. Guys were like, you know, entering COVID protocols like right before the game. And and that was kind of an interesting situation. And last year was the first kind of return to normalcy. But at the same time, there was like an hour-long halftime show to honor the NBA 75 team. So maybe they'll continue to tweet things. The other thing I saw uh, kind of float around on Twitter was the idea of doing Team World versus Team USA. You might end up reaching a little bit, trying to find 12 guys, but I do think there will be a little bit of a sense of pride to not really want to lose in that circumstance and situation. And maybe that uh, you know cranks up the competitive nature there. I mean, if I'm looking at it, there were eight guys international guys in the game or guys from outside the united states Giannis, lowry markin and joel Embiid, nicole Jokic, luka Doncic, shea gillis alexander demonte sabonis if you add you know a couple guys be it a jamal murray you know some other guys like that you you might be talking and that might be something worth exploring down the line but i think you know it, i won't say it's completely broken 
but there are some ways they can continue to try and tweak things and, and, and continue to move forward, uh, and figure it out because obviously I do think the luster is kind of gone away a little bit, just growing up and getting older. But I do think that we can get back to kind of what we had, you know, in 2020 and find that, that, that happy balance and figure out how to restore that competitive nature of the all-star game. And, and I do, and I get it. Guys don't, don't want to get hurt. Um, you know, that, that's kind of the, the big thing. They have to go back to their teams and, and go win ball games. Um, but, but figuring that out, I think is a big thing. Yeah. This might be, uh, this just popped into my head as you were talking to, and I'm just like elaborating on my fake, you know, how to fix the all-star <laughs> game plan here. And I'm going to start with a disclaimer by saying that this might be very participation trophy of me, but like if you had three teams the same way in the rising stars that they have, like the G league team, like what if you had a team snubs and you had guys like Jalen Brunson who just missed the cut, like guys like, you know, Anthony Edwards who ended up being an injury replacement, but also just missed the cut. Anthony Davis is someone who just missed the cut. Like, I don't know how they would differentiate that from actual all-star selections, but like you want to up the intensity why don't you throw together a team of the guys who just missed the cut that felt like they probably deserved it and put them up against the actual stars because that might raise the intensity a little bit. So I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Maybe we'll have to get yeah. Adam Silver on the phone, but you know, yeah, yeah. Adam, Adam hey. Silver, if you're listening, give us a call, follow us on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is. We, we got some ideas for you. Um, anyway, uh, that being said, all-star weekends are wrap. Still going to watch it this time next year. Always going to be a fan of it. Always going to be locked in. Also, shout out to Damian Lillard for winning the three-point contest in his Weber State uniform, which was pretty cool, uh, back in Utah, back where his college roots were laid. So that was pretty awesome as well. Now, obviously, when All-Star is in our rear view, we focus on the final 20, 25-ish games of the year. It's obviously the official, unofficial, excuse me, All-Star is the unofficial midway point of the season, but... You know, we're really in, in kind of rounding third and heading home and finishing up this NBA season. Just got a little bit under two months left to play. And there are a lot of storylines to follow in the second half of the season. I'm curious as to what you have your eye on because there's so much that needs to be figured out, so much that needs to be worked out in both conferences. Um, so where do you even start? I think you start with the Western Conference and it starts yeah. with the two biggest moves of the trade deadline. And that is Kyrie Irving, and Luka Doncic have yet to win a game together. And then you have Kevin Durant <laughs> who could potentially return from injury this upcoming weekend. Uh, you know, the yep. first weekend out of the all-star break as you know, making his debut as a Phoenix sun. So, you know, potentially a new favorite in the Western Conference. They are in Vegas right now. Uh, the Phoenix suns getting Kevin Durant back, um, you know, coming back from that MCL injury. I think that that is going to be the one of the biggest storylines of the second half of the season. That feels like a very safe take. Uh, again, Kyrie and Luca. I think the Lakers are another interesting story because they made some very solid moves at the deadline. Like, could be one of the biggest winners of the trade deadline. Um, you know, in adding guys like Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, Mo Bamba, um, you know, D'Angelo Russell. They they kind of bolstered that roster a little bit, and that intrigues me as well. LeBron James called it the biggest. Uh, you know, 26 regular season games of his career, or some of the biggest 20 or remaining regular season games of his career at All-Star Weekend. So, you know, he's going to take it very seriously. And then, you know, I think the, the race in the Eastern Conference is interesting to me as well. I mean, the Bucks are only a half game back from the Celtics, uh, and that's going to be, you know, a, a storyline to follow down the home stretch as well. So, you know, I think there's plenty of storylines to be in, uh, interested in, but for me, it's a lot of those focus on the Western Conference. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work backwards and start with what you said about the Eastern Conference. The Bucks go into all-star break on a 12-game winning streak. Uh, they barely held off the main Celtics, <laughs> as mostly everybody was, was, was injured and out. Um, but Giannis 
suffered a sprained wrist right before All-Star break at the time of recording. He's on his way to New York to see a specialist that never really sounds good, but whatever comes of that is kind of looming large over the Bucks. But it, it does still feel like a, a two-team race between uh, the Bucks and the Celtics in the Eastern Conference. What comes of that? Who gets home court advantage by getting the number one seed? We saw what happens when you have game seven at home last year. The Celtics benefited from that. So that is a huge race in the Eastern Conference. In the West, you, you kind of hit, uh, again, you, you hit the nail on the head a couple times with that. Just thinking about how the the, the shift of, of power has kind of happened with those two big trades, but also the Lakers making a lot of improvements in the margins. I don't even call it in the margins. Um, you know, adding, you know, D'Angelo Russell to start at point guard and obviously very on brand of you to list Jared Vanderbilt first of all the guys <laughs> that they added. I know you are a big Vando guy, but I've already seen just Lakers fans have, have been huge, uh, very receptive of, of what he's given to that team so far. Another big move in the Western Conference, pending physicals and, and buyout agreements and everything like that. Russell Westbrook to the L.A. Clippers um, was announced by Adrian Wojnarowski early Monday this week. Um, curious as to, you know, what happens when he goes across the hall from the Lakers to the Clippers. He did some good things with the Lakers, but obviously did some bad things as well. Um, so when you talk about the teams in the Western Conference, I also have to give a shout out to the Nuggets. They are the number one seed. Got a nice cushion right now, and they are a very good basketball team. Um, but then you have the Clippers also in that conversation with the Suns and the Mavericks. Adding Russell Westbrook doesn't necessarily resonate like it would have years ago, but they were in need of a point guard, a guy who can put the ball on the floor, get to the rim, and find shooters. That's what Russell Westbrook does when he's at his best. So when you look at this Western Conference jumble and everything going on, where do the Clippers fit into everything with Russell Westbrook now? I am admittedly a Russell Westbrook apologist. Like I, I still believe in him. He just plays so hard, and I feel like mm-hmm. he's going to find a way to make an impact with the Clippers. You know, Paul George was campaigning for him to join the team. And like you said, they had a void at point guard. And yeah, they got Bones Highland at the trade deadline. I think he's awesome as like a six-man option off the bench. The Clippers made other, you know, pretty low-key moves that I think mm-hmm. are pretty impactful in getting guys like Eric Gordon, getting guys like Mason Plumley uh, to yep. build out that depth. Um, but then you bring in Russell Westbrook at point guard. And again, like it, it, to me, it does feel like he wants to do the things that it takes to win basketball games. And no, he's not the player that he was even three years ago, um, you know, when he was making a run in the playing tournament with the Wizards. Uh, but you know, he's going to go out there and he's going to give you everything he has And the Clippers as it is. They're already in fourth place. They're only a couple games back uh, from third place. They're one game back, sorry, from third place in the Western Conference. Do I think they're going to make a push up to first place? No, I actually think the Denver Nuggets are going to lock up the number one seed in the West. Uh, but I do think that the addition of Russell Westbrook, you know, I could be very wrong here and I am well aware of that, but I think that he helps the Clippers. I think that he is going to make an impact, a positive impact with the Clippers. And that felt like, you know, the inevitable destination to keep the Los Angeles guy in Los Angeles after he had been traded by the Lakers and waived by the Jazz. And honestly, is there anything scarier than Russell Westbrook with a chip? on his shoulder, right? Like the, the, the Lakers, the team that everybody from LA or most everybody from LA, unless you're Paul George, who I think was maybe lying a little bit dream <laughs> to play for when they grow up. Uh, it doesn't work out there. The fan base treats you pretty poorly. You mm-hmm. are kind of pushed out of the door. There, there are people talking bad about you after you left. You get a chance to go across the hall and help that team 
win an NBA title. I think that that is very uh, much something that Russell Westbrook is going to relish, that opportunity. Uh, over at the Sporting News, Steph No wrote about it. He called it a low-risk, medium-reward move for the Clippers because if he doesn't fit, you just take him out of the rotation. And they, there you have it because Terrence Mann has been playing point guard well for them, which is kind of something that's surprising. I didn't really expect him to be able to be their lead guard, but that's what he's been doing. Um, but if Russell Westbrook is the Russell Westbrook that we know that he can be still at this point, and that's attacking the rim and you know not settling for those mid-range jump shots and, and hitting Paul George, hitting the shooters, hitting Eric Gordon – you know, figuring those things out, hitting Norman Powell, whatever the case is. Um, and you mentioned the depth that they have. When I was talking about the signing and I wrote something quick on the signing over at the Sporting News, looking at their depth chart, the Clippers have a lot of guys who can play multiple positions. And they have a lot of guys who you can count on contributing. Obviously, it starts with Kawhi and Paul George. But, you know, so long as he's doing the right thing, you have a Marcus Morris Sr., you have a Nicholas Batum, you have a Norman Powell throw Russell Westbrook in the mix. You mentioned Bones Highland as well, Eric Gordon. A lot of guys who are pros who have done things at a high level and can contribute at a high level. So uh, the Clippers are in a very good spot. I, I said it before on here that you have to have something to show for this Paul George, Kawhi Leonard era. We talked about Shea Gillis Alexander being an all-star this year. That's who you parted ways with in order to make this happen. So you have to uh, you know, make something of this right now and figure that out. Um, the other part of the Western Conference that is also equally as interesting, we talked about the Lakers a little bit, but they have some ground to make up <laughs> to get in the play-in picture. First of all, um, at the time of recording, they're 27 and 32 coming out of the All-Star break, three and a half out of the sixth seed, which is held by the Mavericks, but they have to get ahead of the Blazers, Jazz, Thunder, Warriors, Timberwolves, and Pelicans, all teams who aren't just going to fold. Uh, the Thunder, I think, are the most interesting of that group because they are also playing with house money and, and really exceeding expectations. So that play-in tournament, first of all, how do you kind of see that shaking out? And second of all, if you are a top seed in the Western Conference, who do you want no problems with uh, in that second half? I think the obvious answer of who you want no problems with is the Golden State Warriors because yeah. to me, I mean, they are I, I still think that they are the scariest team in the Western Conference. Like even though they're sitting in at 29 and 29, they're the team that nobody wants to see in the playoffs. I don't think that there's a single team in the West that would have a problem admitting that. I mean, the defending champions for a reason. No, they haven't been able to figure it out over the course of, you know, the 82 game season so far, but get them in a 7 game series and they're going to be tough to beat if everybody is healthy. Yeah. Um, the Thunder team that's interesting to me because they're winning games by accident almost like they are just a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, can they keep it up? Maybe like, again, I would, I have expected them to even be in the playing tournament range at this point. Probably not. Um, and then you have two teams, you know, I mean, the jazz are in there as well, but again, I don't think they're a team that really wants to win games. I think they would mm -hmm. rather have the ping pong balls. So you have two teams in the Blazers and the Lakers who really want that last spot. And, you know, are the Pelicans going to fall off if Zion Williamson can't return after the All-Star break? You know, they, would already, they were already on a skid before the All-Star All -Star break, um, you know, came upon us. The Timberwolves are a team that, are you know, they felt like they were going all in with making that move for Rudy Gobert. And obviously, Carl Anthony Towns has been injured. So, you know, things are a little bit out of their control, but they've started to figure it out a little bit. Uh, the Lakers are going to try and have to steal one of those spots. And the Blazers are going to be right there with them also trying to steal one of those spots. So, you know, I think personally, 
LeBron James is going to take the second half of the season very seriously. Like he said, I think the Lakers are going to end up a playoff team. Um, I would guess the Oklahoma City Thunder are the team that falls out of the race because, you know, if they're flirting with that 10 seed at the end of the year, maybe they sit guys like Shea, maybe they sit guys like Josh Giddy just to, you know, kind of sure up their ping pong balls and, and work towards the future because they really weren't uh, expecting to be in the mix this year. Um, but the Blazers are going to be ble- breathing right down the Lakers' necks. And uh, like you said, they have to cover a lot of ground pretty fast because there's not that many games left in the season. That's what I going to say. Like, it, it's interesting to say, like, oh, yeah, they're three and a half games back, like, which doesn't seem like that much in theory. Then you're like, well, they only have 23 games left to play. And unless you're playing those teams that are ahead of you, it gets a little bit harder to make up ground, especially um, earlier in the year. We know the Lakers have dropped a lot of games that they probably should have won or it would have been helpful to have won with respect to tiebreakers and things of that nature. So um, I do completely expect the Lakers to uh, LeBron James to, to be in, in LeBron James form. They need Anthony Davis to be in Anthony Davis form as well. And the new additions have to really uh, get acclimated to what's going on pretty quickly because there is a very thin margin for error. I know that the team has talked about needing to win like 16 of their last 23 in order to get to that six spot, um, which is, Definitely a tall task, but again, everybody has to be clicking on all cylinders. They can't really afford um, any setbacks. Whatever form they come in, um, they're going to have to push. So I think that the, the Western Conference, it really all starts with the Western Conference. The MVP race is going to be something to watch as well. It kind of seems like it's Nikola Jokic just to lose right now. But again, still over 20 games left to play in the year. So you know, one push could come either way. Jason Tatum still right there but he might be focused on a different MVP at the end of the year um so it'll be definitely interesting to follow all of that I'll let you give you the floor one more time before we wrap here anything else in the Eastern Conference like we dedicated so much time to the West is there anything else in the East worth keeping our eye on in the second half of the season I think the 76ers are an interesting story just because Mm -hmm. they really felt like they were starting to figure it out but then they kind of got routed by Boston uh just before um, you know, the all-star break came about and that was without Jalen Brown. That was without Marcus Smart. Um, so it's kind of a reality check of when you're going up against the top team in your conference. It's like, okay, where do we stand? And I think that was kind of a moment where the Sixers are, you know, I mean, there's a lot of pressure for them to get to at least the conference finals for the first time since Allen Iverson. Uh, you know, this feels like the team to do it. And I think they're going to be a team to really follow closely and see what direction they're trending in as playoffs come around. Um, I personally still think the Cavs are the third best team in the East. Like I, the way that they match up with certain teams, I think they're going to mm-hmm. be a threat in the playoffs. And that's a team that no one really wants to see in a seven game series. Um, and Donovan Mitchell is someone who's been there before and he's played in big moments and he's had big playoff moments. And that's why they went out and got him. Um, mm-hmm. But again, you know, on the other side of that Kevin Durant trade, it's where do the Nets go from here? I mean, they're still in right. fifth place in the East. They did you know, return some intriguing pieces. We saw Mikel Bridges go for what I personally believe is a lifetime high 45 points 45. because, you know, I, I don't know if he's ever been a feature scorer. I know for a fact he never got it at Villanova. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe he scored it in high school, but even then he was, you know, such a role player that I don't know if he right. was ever, you know, a featured scorer like that. But, you know, we're starting to see him emerge in Brooklyn uh, as the all-star game, uh, all-star break came upon us. And it's going to be interesting to see, do they fall off? Do they kind of stay in that, you know, five, six range and, and avoid the play-in tournament. So they're another team that I'm intrigued by in the Eastern Conference. If I had to pick two teams that I'm most interested in, I do think it would be the 76ers and the Nets. 
one more for you on top of the Nets because it kind of feels like they're going to fall out. But again, they could be one of those teams that just kind of continues to win games and they just hang around and and they end up taking care of business and winning games that they're supposed to win. And they stay in that top six. It, it would feel like if they are to fall out of the top six, it would be the Heat that that jumped them. They are reportedly adding Kevin Love, who's been bought out uh, by the Cavaliers. And I believe they're going to add Cody Zeller as well to show up their front court rotation a little bit. The Heat are a team that get hot, no pun intended, at the right time. Um, they've been there before. They were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference last year. They were a Jimmy Butler missed three away from winning the conference finals potentially and probably getting swept in the NBA finals. That's another story for another time. Um, but I do have my eye on the Heat. Um, the Knicks are also right there in the thick of things. I think that they're going to kind of hang in there. I can see the Heat jumping the Knicks as well. Unfortunately, we probably won't get a Nets-Knicks playoff series. I don't think the world is ready to handle that, uh, let alone the the city of New York. And maybe I'm overestimating that. Maybe people don't really care, but I do think that it'd be a pretty interesting uh, in-city playoff series, maybe even a play-in uh, tournament, but it looks like the teams that are below them uh, aren't really going to make up the ground to get there. So one of the three, Nets, Knicks Heat will probably be in that uh, play-in tournament range, but uh, I think those three teams kind of watching them grapple for that last spot in the playoffs will be interesting in the second half of the season. Keep it locked in with us here on NBA Sound System as we follow the second half of the year, the unofficial second half of the year, really the last two months of the season and gear up for the NBA playoffs. And if all these storylines are any indication, it should be Pretty fun and a lot to follow. So make sure to subscribe, rate, wherever you get your podcast to NBA Sound System and stick with us as we cover everything, the remainder of the regular season, the playoffs, and beyond. For Kyle Irving, I am Gil McGregor, thanking you for tuning in to NBA Sound System and telling you that we will catch you here same time next week. Have a good one.